question of the ages, that Jesus is Lord. Think about that. That's what it means whenever you're saved. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is the confession of the early church. Paul even said to the Corinthian church, no one can say that and mean it unless it comes by the Holy Spirit of God. And that's also kind of the battle of the ages too. You know what the battle of politics really is? It's not really over who's going to be president. It's over who's Lord. When we think about crime, it's not really about law-breaking and all of that as much as it is, is Jesus Lord or not? Because when you think about the way Jesus has set things up, his rulership, his lordship, his authority, if everyone would submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, every political problem solved. Every law-breaking crime problem solved. Every relationship problem solved. And the battle comes down, even if it's just a fight between you and your wife, it comes down to the lordship of Jesus Christ. When it comes down to just the battle in your own soul, and who's going to win that battle of temptation, it all boils down to this one thing, who's Lord? And Jesus is Lord. So I'd like for us to have a word of prayer. And as you uh, know, man, is our country ever in some turmoil right now? And the passing of uh, Justice Ginsburg the other night, I mean, it, it, gasoline on the fire, right? Because everybody's going to make political hay over that. And you know what? Uh, I have a tendency to kind of look at things that way. And then it's like I just stopped and I said, you know what? That's not what her kids are thinking about right now. Not what her grandkids are thinking about right now. They're planning a funeral and they're hurting. And we forget sometimes when we look in the realm of everything that's going on nationally and internationally, we forget that at the bottom line of everything, they're humans just like us. They have families just like us. And uh, we need to remember that because one of the things we ought to have as believers is a little thing called compassion, right? So can we just stop? Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. And let's just talk to the Lord now. Father, we live in a nation that's in a mess. But that's just really the outgrowth of families that are in a mess and people that are in a mess. People that don't know right from wrong, up from down, inside from outside. They don't know light from darkness. And they try desperately to make what they want to be right, even if instinctively they know it's not. Stubbornly pushing and pushing and rebelling, breaking your laws, trying to twist everything around. And then they wonder why things don't work and why they have so much turmoil in their lives. And then we have people that are believers like us who want to do what's right and try to do what's right. But then we're battling our old nature and we're battling against the world. We're battling against the demons of hell. And they bring hell as it splashes over into our lives. And so we too sometimes wonder what's going on and why aren't things going better. And it's kind of funny how we might look at the world and say, can't you see what you're doing and can't you see how messed up your life is? And then they point the same fingers at us and say, can't you see that what you're doing is not working and that your life is in such a mess? And you know what, Lord, so many times they're right.
And so we're asking you today that you would start in the heart of every believer in the United States of America and you would draw us to you to make that one confession and mean it that Jesus is Lord and to actually live and think and be motivated that way. And then we pray, Father, that whenever we do point out something to the lost world, that they could actually see Jesus in and through us. And they could see our love. And they could see our compassion. And as we think about all of the political ramifications of what is going on right now, we want to pray for the family of Justice Ginsburg. And we want to pray that you would comfort them. And we want to pray that somehow through all of this you would make them aware of their own mortality. They are going to die. And I pray that you would use that to bring the gospel to them and bring them to the point to where they too confess as we do that Jesus is Lord. We pray that our president would kneel before your lordship, that all the members of both houses of Congress would kneel and yield to your lordship, that every governor, that every mayor, that every city council, that every state legislature, and that every judge at whatever level that they would bow before the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that as we do that, we would find the joy of being in submission to you and having you put our lives in the right order because we can't. So we ask you to do that. And we ask you to do it in any way that it is needed that you might be glorified in us and in our homes, in our families, in our church, in our cities, in our states, and in our nation. To God be the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to the 14th chapter of Exodus. We're moving on. And we're getting to a pretty climatic part of all of this. And the slaves are free. And they are moving along. They've got a pillar of cloud by day. A pillar of fire by night. It's kind of neat any way that you uh, might think of it. And you think about them as they are going. And uh, we looked at it last week and said that uh, if they knew anything about geography, their internal GPS was probably going recalculating, recalculating because they're going the wrong way. If they're going to go to the promised land out of Egypt, they should have gone to the north and along the coastline. But instead, they're kind of heading down toward the the south, And then in the passage we're going to look at today, the Lord actually asks, asks them to turn around. They're going to go in kind of a backwards way. It's kind of weird. But let's not go there yet. Let's just stop and think. They've just been set free. They're on their way out. They are out of Egypt. And as they are going out, what do you think they are feeling? What do you think is going on in their life? Think about just the emotions that they must be experiencing. Think about all of that. Can it be true? Some people were probably wondering, you know, is, is this real? This seems like a dream. This is something more than we ever could have, have hoped for in our life. And yet, all of the hopes and the dreams, even of our ancestors, are now coming true upon us. And we are walking out and we are free. They're probably thinking things like this. Man, does life get any better than this? I mean, they're happy. 
They are at peace. You can imagine when they are talking. What do you think of Moses? Oh, man, isn't he great? Man, he and his brother Aaron. Man, what, what great leaders. Look at what they have pulled off. Nominate them for the Nobel Peace Prize or something like that. This is, they're masters at negotiation. And uh, boy, we're so fortunate to have them leading us. Can you imagine what the conversations were like? We're free. What's it going to be like in the promised land? What's it going to be like to own our own land, to own our own property, to own our own houses, to be able to raise our families in the way that we want to? What's it going to be like to get up and do what we want to do for our benefit instead of making bricks for Pharaoh's benefit? What? Oh, man, this is going to be great. And can you imagine how they would dream and how they are talking and how they would speculate and the optimism and the joy and can you imagine just every step that they would take? It was a step of freedom. It was a step of victory. It was a step of, of joy. And they're going along and they're following the Lord as he leads them. Can you imagine as they would marvel at that pillar of cloud, the Shekinah glory of Almighty God, the creator of the universe? Can you imagine at night when there was the light of that pillar of fire as it led them and he was comforting them with warmth and comforting them with light in the midst of the darkness and showing them, I am with you and I am always with you. Follow me and follow my leading. Can you imagine how all of that was just the content of their entire existence at that point? Man, you know those times. You know those times when you are maybe um, out on a date and, uh, you know, talking is not a problem, and smiling is not a problem, and laughing is not a problem, and everything is just wonderful. And even after you, uh, if you're a guy, you take her home, and she uh, goes into her house, and you go back to yours, and what do you do? You pick up the phone, got to call, you got to spend more time, and there's nothing but just happiness that comes out of all of that. Can you imagine what that is like now with the children of Israel? Can it get any better than it is right now? And yes, they hope and yes, they dream, but their experience right now, it's the best that they've ever had in their entire life. Now, just let that sink in. Moses says, let's come over here and let's camp. And when he tells them to do that, there's no record of anyone saying, what are we camping here for? Are you sure this is a good place? They've got no reason to question anything. And so they camp, and they camp by the sea. And uh, on one side is desert. And uh, when it says wilderness in the Bible, particularly in Exodus, don't think of trees and Daniel Boone and all of that. Think of like the Sahara. Uh, wide open hot, not much vegetation, not much water. And uh, then over on the other side is the sea. And when they are at the sea, I don't think there's any of them that is saying, is this tactically a smart idea? I think they're probably sitting there, man, isn't this great beachfront vacation right here? Camping out by the water. Isn't that what everybody wants to do? And so there they are, and everything is good, and everything is going along. In, in their minds, I would imagine, they were sitting back saying, this is perfection. 
This is the way it's supposed to be. Now, the problem with humans is we, look in, we get into situations like that and our assumption is this is the way it is always going to be. We'll just keep doing this, keep doing this forever and for always. This is just the way it is going to be. And so this is natural. This is exactly the way that uh, I would have been thinking. And so uh, we start reading in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 14. Okay. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before uh, Pi-Haharath between Migdal and the sea opposite Baal-Zephon and you shall camp before it by the sea. Well, that doesn't sound horrible at that point. And then he goes on and gives Pharaoh, I mean, uh, gives Moses a little bit more insight about what Pharaoh is doing. Now, uh, before we go any further, let me just say this. It's evident from what we're going to read that Pharaoh had people watching them. Okay? But the people there, they had no idea what was going on. This is a one-way mirror. They can't see what Pharaoh is doing, but Pharaoh is getting reports of everything they're doing. Okay? Here is uh, our clue, verse 3. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Okay? So he knew where they were, and he's looking tactically at this thing, and he's going, they didn't go through the land of the Philistines, the shortest way, and they're going down to a place now where they are trapped. They're hemmed in either by desert. Where are you going to run in the desert? Pharaoh can find you. He can see you. Where are you going to go into the sea? You're going to jump in? What are you going to do? And Pharaoh is saying, this is where we've got them. They're overwhelmed. Uh, in other words, they can't handle their freedom. Okay? This is stupidity. Pharaoh is thinking about what they are doing. And yet we know it was the leadership of, of the Lord that brought them to this place. The wilderness has closed them in. Okay, I'm picking up in verse 4. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all this army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Haven't we heard that before? Don't they know who the Lord is by now? But the Egyptians are kind of like everybody else. Once the pressure's off, once the heat is off, now they look around and they go, what do we do? What, what were we thinking? And if you'll think about this, every part of Egyptian life in the ten plagues had been uh, touched by God in a negative way, except the army. Well, that's going to change very shortly. But at this point, Pharaoh's thinking, hey, I've still got all my chariots, all my horses, all my soldiers. Let's, let's go and let's take care of this. So here we go, verse 5. Now it was told the king of Egypt, that's Pharaoh, that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants 
was turned against the people. Now the servants were the ones that earlier told Pharaoh, let him go, let him go. Well, now they've changed their mind, and so is Pharaoh, right? And so they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his people, his staff, with him. Verse 7. Well, also he took 600 choice chariots, Navy SEALs, Rangers, special ops. Okay? 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. A whole lot more than 600. 600 is just the number of the special, the elite forces there. The other ones are following along behind. We don't know how many there were. It's a lot. Oh, and by the way, in a chariot, there were typically three in a chariot. Okay? A lot of people, a lot of soldiers. And the chariots are fast. Remember, the Israelis have nothing. Here they come, like tanks coming after you or something. Verse 8. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel uh, went out with boldness or confidence. That's the way they were at this point. Verse 9. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, foot soldiers, and overtook them while they were camping by the sea beside Pi-Hahirath before Baal-Sephon. And then Pharaoh drew near, and the children of Israel lifted up their eyes. That term, lifted up their eyes, that's the kind of thing when you are looking somewhere, maybe you're in the mountains, and you look and you say, what is that over there? And you can't quite make it out, but you can, you can see it. What, what, what is that over there? And they're looking. They're lifting up their eyes. What, what is this? What's going on? Do you see what I see? Do you see that coming over there? There's a cloud of dust. There's a lot of people, uh, but they can't make out what it is. They lift up their eyes. And then when they are able to kind of focus in and tell, look what it says. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were not just afraid, very afraid. Okay, let's, let's just put that in um, this way, panicked. And so they panicked. Can you imagine the talk now? Where did it go? From happy, free, peaceful, relaxing, doesn't get any better to this, than this. What do you think it's like now? Pandemonium, a lot of talking, people running around doing all kinds of crazy things. And where do we go? What do we do? What, uh, do we run toward the sea? Do we run away from the sea? If we go out into the wilderness, <clears throat> they're going to see us for miles. And they're going to uh, pursue us with horses and chariots. We don't have anything like that. What is going on? They're very afraid. Let's pick up the verse again. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Oh, well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Uh, when you don't know what else to do, pray. Nothing wrong with that, is there? Except we find out the sincerity and motive of their prayer. In verse 11, they prayed. And then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? 
when I first read that, I thought, no graves in Egypt? You ever heard of mummies? Archaeologists dig up mummies all the time. The pyramids? Certainly there were graves in Egypt. That's a funny question. It says, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? What would you do this for anyway? Verse 12, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die here in the wilderness. You know, they sound more like Egyptians than they do Israelis, don't they? Why are you, and why did you bring us out? Pharaoh's first question is, who is the Lord that I should let these people go? And these people are going now, yeah, we agree more with Pharaoh than we do Moses. We told you. We told you this wasn't going to work. We were perfectly content in Egypt. Well, what a lie that was. Because the Bible tells us that when the Lord spoke to Moses back, I believe in the third chapter, he said, I have heard the groaning of my people in Egypt. But when this comes, they turn around and say, this isn't what we wanted. Why didn't you just leave us alone? We told you. You won't listen to us. And all of a sudden, everybody's an expert in what should have happened. Forget about the pillar of fire. Forget about the pillar of cloud. Forget about the plagues. Forget about all of that kind of stuff. They knew what should have been done. You know, sometimes it's hard to be a leader. I remember back when the pandemic first started, I was seeing all these people that were friends of mine on Facebook that were saying, you know, this governor is an idiot. And why isn't he doing more? And then over time, those same people were going, why is the governor trying to control every part of our lives? You know, it's interesting. If you're in leadership like that, whether you're the president or whether you're a governor, uh, you probably don't want that job because it's easy to sit and be the armchair quarterback and to uh, do uh, look at everything after the fact. But when you're right on the line and you're the one that's doing it, you can see what's happening. And this is nothing new because that's what they did to Moses. What in the world is wrong with you? We told you. We knew. And if you had only listened to us, that's what's going on. So I want you to think about uh, the title of this today. You see, I, I, I was looking at this and, and thinking about the attack of the enemy. But you know, the enemy's attacks, they change. I've never had chariots come after me. Have you? I've never been trapped by a sea or a desert or anything like that. So their tactics may change, but I sure have had the enemy come after me, and you've had the enemy come after you. And there are different ways they may attack and different methods that they may use, and they do surprise us. The children of Israel were surprised. I've been surprised. And there have been some times where there have been some 9-11 style attacks on my life that I didn't see coming and they were very difficult to get out of. You've had those same kind of things. It may come through a family. It may come through health. It may come through finances or a job. I mean, any number of ways that they can come. And so I go, well, I sort of scratched my head a little bit and said, 
What, what do we talk about and how do we apply this and what do we learn from this? And then it dawned on me that while the circumstances may change and the timing may change, the tactics may change and all of these things may look a little bit different than they did before, there's one thing in here that doesn't change and you know what that is? The people. People are people. And we have a fallen nature, we are depraved, and uh, we tend to be operating in the flesh and by the flesh and by what we can see and hear and touch and taste and feel and all of those kind of things. We are, tend to be sensual in the way we look at things. We have this tendency to be bold and to be courageous or to find peace and then when circumstances change, we are in a panic and then we question everything and we turn on other people because there's got to be somebody to blame. And so sometimes we look like them. We come to church and we pray and we sing the songs and then we turn on other people with a vengeance and we're angry and then we try to act as though if I had been in charge, I would have known what to do. And the truth is most of us wouldn't. So... What is it that doesn't change? When we're attacked by the enemy, you know, it's one thing to be attacked because that's every day, every situation. Warfare is not just something you do in the morning and then forget about it. You are living in warfare every day, every step that you take in every way that you live. But when the unexpected comes upon you, that's when you start having problems. And what we're going to look at today is we're, as we analyze the people here in Israel and see that they're no different than we are, you're going to see yourself. This is going to be like looking into a mirror this morning. That first of all, you tend whenever you're attacked like they were and to this degree and you don't know what to do and you didn't see it coming, you couldn't make any plans and you don't know what the exit's going to be. You know, number one, what happens to you? You tend to doubt the leadership of God and to question it. Why would God lead me here? Why would he put that person in my life? Why is it that this particular thing came into our family? Why did my kids get exposed to this? Because we know that God could have put us in a bubble and kept any of that kind of stuff from touching us. In fact, we can look around and we can find some other people. Why wasn't their family touched by this? And why wasn't their career touched by this? and all of that kind of stuff that happens. Well, we question those kind of things. Did God lead me to marry this person? Did God lead me to this particular job? Am I in the right place? And all of this makes an awful lot of anxiety. There's a lot of anxious Christians walking around because whenever things don't go right, all of a sudden they begin to question the leadership of the Lord. And you notice that as we look at this passage here, that it's very, very clear that they didn't just wander into this place, that they weren't kind of herded into this place, that the weather didn't drive them into this place. This was God. And God did it in two ways. First of all, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire was making it very clear where they were supposed to go. And secondly, uh, the Bible says that God told Moses, this is the place to go. Now, while you're going along, turn back. Go back the other way, the way you came, and camp over there by the sea. And so, uh, whenever that happens, the leadership of the Lord seems questionable. You've been there, and I've been there as well. Lord, why am I here? Did I miss you? 
Are the steps of the righteous not ordered of God? What happened? What messed up here? Because, you know, when I'm looking back, I could think of a hundred different ways we probably should have gone and maybe that I wish that we had gone and uh, there's a problem, right? Okay, so that's number one. And that'll sow seeds of confusion and doubt and all of that and despair. You know, am I just on my own? Does God know what he's doing? What's happening here? It'll shake your faith. Secondly... The last thing that you think of is God's honor at that point. Now, maybe if you're a more mature believer, you might be able to kind of handle that and you might be able to stop and say, well, God's got a purpose in all of this and all of this is for God's glory. But as it continues to squeeze, as it continues to press... Sometimes it's easy to forget. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about how I feel. It's not about what I want. <clears throat> it's not about any of those things. This really is about God's honor. And you see God revealing to Moses, Pharaoh is going to know what's going on. He's going to come after you. And then I'm going to gain my final, I'm going to gain my final victory over Pharaoh and over Egypt. And I'm going to touch that one area of his kingdom that has not been touched. I'm going to destroy him militarily. Okay? And you guys are going to be the bait. Well, that's not always comforting, is it? And so God tells them that this is going to happen and that uh, as this is happening, be ready for it. And I'm going to do this for my glory and my honor. And I'm going to just make a sanctified guess here that when the Israelis lifted up their eyes and said, What is that? And they began to realize what is happening. Not a one of them said, Hallelujah. Not a one of them said, Well, praise God. This is going to be a great opportunity for Yahweh to show His superiority over everything else that's in this world. I don't think that happened. And I think it's clear from the way that they acted and the way that they reacted. And you and I do the same thing. It is hard for us to go through something that is a gut-wrenching experience, a heartbreaking experience, something that may involve your children, something that may involve your career, something that may involve your health, and to have your first thought be, this is for the glory of God. We're just not quite wired that way now some may get there but I don't think these people were there yet this is the very beginning and the uh, opening of their experience as free people delivered by the Lord and I just don't think that they get it quite yet the last thing we think of is God's honor thirdly you will uh, notice here that the Bible uh, gives us the idea that these people uh, as they are looking around and assessing their situation, that God seems anything but sovereign in this. And, and, and to think that God would set us free in order that we might come out here and be slaughtered, that doesn't sound like a victorious king. That doesn't even sound like a good king, much less a wise king. A wise king wouldn't have had us camp here, would he? A wise king would have had us long gone and out of the reach of Pharaoh by this particular point. I mean, at this point, quoting Romans 8.28 to one of these people is probably going to get you punched in the mouth. 
by this point saying uh, Jeremiah 29.11 is probably going to get you cussed out or something like that. These people are scared to death. And when they are looking at this, using their senses and using their mind, they only come to one, one conclusion. This is going to be an out-and-out out slaughter. This is not the beginning of life. This is the end of life. This is not the opening door to a promised life and promised land and a future and a hope. This is the end because we're fixing to die or to be taken back into captivity. Neither one of those is going to be a good thing. Where are the promises of God? Where's the covenant that God made with our ancestor Abraham? How in the world is all of this going to work together? You ever felt like that? You ever looked around and read something in the Bible when you're going through a particular trial? And when you're reading that, you, you know that the Word of God is true, but it sure doesn't seem to be true in your life. And I remember one time when I was in my 20s and I read in Psalm 30, that weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And I remember not reading any further than that, but closing my Bible and just saying, well, not for me. Not for me. It seems like God was leading me into defeat, into despair. That God was leading me into death, not life. That God was leading me into bondage, not freedom. It just didn't make any sense to me. And if somebody had talked to me about the sovereignty of God at that point, I'm not sure that it would have been well received because it didn't seem like God was answering prayer. It didn't seem like God really cared. It didn't seem like that he really loved me a whole lot. It just seemed to be like everything was going the opposite direction. You felt like that most likely at one or time or more in your life where you couldn't figure it out. And how could a sovereign God be allowing this to happen? Boy, that's where it stretches your faith. An awful lot. Is God true or not? Is the word true or not? Am I going to walk according to what God says through his word or not? And the alternative is not good, folks. It's just not good. But when you're at the edge of the Red Sea in the desert, what else are you going to think? What else are you going to think? They don't know the rest of the story like you and I do. All they see is one thing. And the fourth thing that happens here is everything gets second-guessed. Are you that kind of a person? You uh, buy a car and you go, man, I've got a good deal on this car. And as soon as you drive it off of the lot, you get a little bit of buyer's remorse. Or that day you see an ad in the paper for the same car for $1,000 less. Maybe I should have looked a little bit longer, should have looked a little bit more. Sure seemed like a good deal when I first bought it or the first time you have a repair. What did I buy this thing for? I can't believe that I did this. You may take a new job and it's promised land. Boy, it, it is the best. And then you're not there very long and you find out you have to work with some difficult people or things are not quite what they were promised to you. What did I do this for? And you second guess the whole thing. Isn't that what is happening in these last few verses that's going on here? They cried out to the Lord because they're at least smart enough to know that the Lord is the only one who can deliver them at this point. And then they turn on poor Moses. 
This is what we told you. Not enough graves in Egypt for you, Moses. You want to expand the territory of the cemetery and bring it out here so that we are all slaughtered like sitting ducks? What were you thinking? We knew better than this. Why didn't you listen to us? You are not worthy of our uh, submission. You're not worthy of our time. You're not worthy of us following us. Everybody has a better idea than the leader at times like this. Why do we follow you? Well, we had such a good deal in Egypt. We could have stayed there and lived the rest of our lives in uh, harmony and peace. You know, that slavery wasn't such a bad deal after all when you compare it to where we are right now. Everything gets second-guessed. So I want to ask you a question. You've seen people do this. You have probably done this. And if you haven't, you probably will. Where all of a sudden, everything you think you believe about God is put to the test. And you start thinking about God's leadership. Well, maybe he didn't lead me here. And maybe I'm being disciplined because of all of this. You know, you, you start thinking about God and his goodness and his power and all of that and uh, his glory and it's just so wonderful sometimes in your quiet time you read about that oh what a glorious glorious God we serve before there are sometimes when the enemy attacks unexpectedly and it's severe and the glory of God is the farthest thing from you and giving thanks and rejoicing and praising him and trusting him. I mean, it's like it's way, way, way far away. You can think of a lot of other things to do, but glorifying God is not one of them. And then when you think about everything that you've learned about God's sovereignty, how could an in-control God ordering my steps cause this to happen? This is disaster. And you've had some things, and you can read about some things in the Bible that when you look at that, it makes, you know, a lot of uh, blunders and military blunders that people have made in the past that cost them their life. It's like God is following in line with that. How can a sovereign God allow this? Well, you've had people ask you, if you have a sovereign, loving God, why are there children born that are crippled? Why are there starving people that are in the world? Those unanswerable questions on things. Well, it doesn't always seem to fit together even for these people of God. And then that last thing, then you second guess everything. Maybe we shouldn't have followed Moses. Maybe we should have stayed in Egypt. Maybe we should have said, we'll see you all later. And all of a sudden, they forgot about the lamb that we sang about earlier, right? All of a sudden, they forgot about redemption. All of a sudden, they forgot about that blood that was put on the doorposts and the lentils. All of a sudden, they forgot about how they were spared from those plagues that had hit Egypt. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, that is all gone, and they began to second-guess everything. This is why the Bible says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And there are times when you are going to be put in a situation where it is going to stretch you beyond whatever you can imagine to hold on and to trust God. You have anything in that, like that in your life? You have anything that right now it just seems like God has colossally failed. He led me in the wrong spot. 
Why should he deserve any glory out of, after the mess that he's made in my life? How could he possibly be sovereign? And what was I thinking when I followed him? Now, I know you'd never say that, but have you ever felt it? Has it ever kind of seemed that way? And the truth of the matter is, for you, just like for these people, they have no idea what God is going to do and what lengths he is going to go through to get them from this side to the other side and to defeat his enemy. The old hymn says, Till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. My dad used to, you know, whenever I'd be whining or upset about something, he would say, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. And you remember that song? I hate that song. <laughs> to this day, I hate that song, right? And you know what, though? It's true, isn't it? Jesus promised you in the world you'll have tribulation. And there are going to be some things you just can't figure out. But here's the good news. You can't figure out God either. You can't figure out his deliverance. You may be trying to figure out what is his purpose in all of this. Well, understand, as bewildered as you are about his purpose in having you here, you're going to be even more bewildered when you see God act because he is indeed going to deliver you and his victory will be your victory. But you've got to trust him in the meantime. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. Would you bow your heads? And would you close your eyes? Father, we're in a crisis of faith in a lot of ways right now. And we're asking you, Lord. We're kind of like the person who says, I believe. But help my unbelief. And we probably have a whole lot more unbelief in this room than we would even like to admit. But we're good at keeping it hidden. And we're good at kind of dressing it up with other things so that nobody sees it. And the truth is you see it. And so, oh Lord, we bear our heart before you. And we confess our unbelief. And we ask you to fill us with faith. Because faith is the victory. It doesn't cause the victory. It is the victory. And had the children of Israel simply believed God at the shore, they would have been victorious before the waters ever parted. That's where we would like to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.